home for listening to the weirdness. My name is Megan, and I'm the arts director at CITR. And uh, it's been my great pleasure to help organize this event. And uh, what I would like to do is talk a little bit about nothing. Uh, we have a, a very special event for you. Um, Barry Truax has recorded for us his lec- his performance of John Cage's Lecture on Nothing with accompanying meditative music. Uh, it's a an hour long uh, with the text published in Silence by John Cage. And you can learn more about Barry Truax at sfu.ca slash Truax. He is a electroacoustic artist and a sound scholar and he teaches uh, electroacoustic uh, works at Simon Fraser University and so he uh, decided that he would record this lecture that he had performed live and he would record it just for us now what I would love to do is have Barry speak a little bit about his lecture and then we will go right into the lecture on nothing performed by Perry Truax 2013. John Cage's lecture on nothing is one of two lectures that he published in his rather famous book Silence and uh, the other being the lecture on something. Uh, It stems from his uh, you might say Zen inspired era of the early 1950s, and uh, it's always I've always found it very attractive as a as a text about nothing, about silence, about the paradoxes. For instance, uh, the opening, um, "I have nothing to say, and I am saying it," and then he goes from there and develops it uh, in, in a very interesting way. Uh, so many decades ago, uh, I used to actually perform this as the final lecture in my introductory acoustic communication class, Communications 259. And at the end of the semester, the last lecture, uh, inspired by Murray Schaefer's book, The Tuning of the World, the last chapter, uh, was about silence. Uh, So for the first uh, hour of that lecture, I um, actually wanted to do an experiment as to whether I could, quote, give a lecture without actually saying anything. Uh, Now, of course, we had some tape examples uh, from our... Uh, compositions and so, and I handed out quotations and invited students to read quotations about silence uh, every once in a while, and there were other sort of visual things. But um, I did an experiment to see whether I could actually get through an entire hour, even when students came and asked me questions. And it's amazing what a little hand uh, hand motion can do, and facial expressions, and uh, that actually worked quite well. But the, uh, the the climax of the lecture was the second hour where I performed John Cage's Lecture on Nothing with an electronic accompaniment called Meditation Music. And I think we probably lowered the lights uh, to some extent and uh, created a very comforting atmosphere, particularly after the uh, first hour that was uh, very loose and uh, had lots of uh, actual silences. Um, The lecture itself is written out on the page as a kind of score, uh, where there's four beats across the page and then uh, the the text is actually placed within those beats, and uh, he he suggests that uh, you should read it in a natural kind of style. But still, there is the implication that that 
Um, he writes in the silences. There are blank lines, and they're clearly measured. And he talks about the structure of the piece uh, as part of the piece, right? And uh, so I started um, performing this, and uh, it took about 40 minutes, and there's one very long silence of 96 beats, I think it is, and uh, it's about two-thirds of the way through. And that comes right after a long kind of mantra-like repetition about here we are now at the beginning of each section and so on. And uh, uh, classic phrases like, it is not irritating to be where one is. It is only irritating to, think, to wish one were somewhere else. Um, and then the end of each of uh, those repetitions is, if anybody is sleepy, let him go to sleep. Right? So, and there's also some humorous parts in it and uh, references to personal experiences and to composition. And it's written from the perspective of a, of a composer. But it's also sort of illustrating silence in this paradoxical way. He says, what we need is silence, but what silence requires is that I go on talking. So fascinating to either listen to or just let, uh, you know, have as a stream of consciousness. And then I combine it with this electronic uh, soundtrack. I mean, you could say in the classic Cajun sense that there is no such thing as silence. You just have the ambience of the room that you could listen to in between the words. But I thought it might be a little more interesting to have uh, a meditative accompaniment rather than just simply the fan and the air conditioning of the, of the lecture hall. So it's a wonderful opportunity to actually revisit this performance piece. I haven't actually performed it in many, many years. And uh, I hope that people will enjoy it in whatever level they, uh, they wish to take it. Lecture on Nothing by John Cage.
I am here, and there is nothing to say. If among you are those who wish to get somewhere, let them leave at any moment. What we require is silence. But what silence requires is that I go on talking. Give any one thought a push, it falls down easily. But the pusher and the pushed produce that entertainment called a discussion. Shall we have one later? Or we could simply decide not to have a discussion. Whatever you like. But now there are silences and the words make help make the silences. I have nothing to say and I am saying it. And that is poetry as I need it. This space of time is organized. We need not fear these silences. We may love them. This is a composed talk, for I am making it just as I make a piece of music. It is like a glass of milk. We need the glass and we need the milk. Or again, it is like an empty glass into which at any time anything may be poured. As we go along, who knows? An idea may occur in this talk. I have no idea whether one will or not. If one does, let it. Regard it as something seen momentarily, as though from a window while traveling. If across Kansas, then of course Kansas. Arizona is more interesting, almost too interesting, especially for a New Yorker who is being interested in spite of himself in everything. Now he knows he needs the Kansas in him. Kansas is like nothing on earth. And for a New Yorker, very refreshing. It is like an empty glass, nothing but wheat, or is it corn? 
doesn't matter which. Kansas has this about it. At any instant, one may leave it, and whenever one wishes, one may return to it. Or you may leave it forever and never return to it. For we possess nothing. Our poetry now is the realization that we possess nothing. Anything, therefore, is a delight since we do not possess it, and thus need not fear its loss. We need not destroy the past, it is gone. At any moment it might reappear and seem to be and be the present. Would it be a repetition? Only if we thought we owned it. But since we don't, it is free, and so are we. Most anybody knows about the future and how uncertain it is. What I am calling poetry is often called content. I myself have called it form. It is the continuity of a piece of music. Continuity, today, when it is necessary, is a demonstration of disinterestedness. That is, it is a proof that our delight lies in not possessing anything. Each moment presents what happens. How different this form sense is from that which is bound up with memory, themes, and secondary themes, their straggle, their development, the climax, the recapitulation, which is a belief that one may own one's own home. But actually, unlike the snail, we carry our homes within us, which enables us to fly or to stay, to enjoy each. But beware of that which is breathtakingly beautiful, for at any moment the telephone may ring or the airplane come down in a vacant lot, a piece of string or a sunset. Possessing neither, each acts, and the continuity happens. Nothing more than nothing can be said. Hearing or making this in music is not different, only simpler than living this way. Simpler, that is, for me because it happens that I write music. That music is simple to make, comes from one's willingness to accept the limitations of structure. Structure is simple because it can be thought out, figured out, measured. It is a discipline which, accepted, in return accepts whatever. Even those rare moments of ecstasy which, as sugar loaves train horses, train us to make what we make. How can I better tell what structure 
is than simply to tell about this, this talk, which is contained within a space of time approximately 40 minutes long. That 40 minutes has been divided into five large parts and each unit is divided likewise. Subdivision involving a square root is the only possible subdivision which permits this micro-macrocosmic rhythmic structure which I find so acceptable and accepting. As you can see, I can say anything. It makes little difference what I say or even how I say it. At this particular moment, we are passing through the fourth part of a unit which is the second unit in the second large part of this talk. It is a little bit like passing through Kansas. This now is the end of that second unit. Now begins the third unit of the second part. Now the second part of that third unit. Now its third part. Now it's fourth part, which, by the way, is just the same length as the third part. Now the fifth and last part. You have just experienced the structure of this talk from a microcosmic point of view. From a macrocosmic point of view, we are just passing the halfway point in the second large part. The first part was a rather rambling discussion of nothing, of form and continuity, when it is the way we now need it. The second part is about structure, how simple it is, what it is and why we should be willing to accept its limitations. Most speeches are full of ideas. This one doesn't have to have any. But at any moment, an idea may come along. Then we may enjoy it. Structure without life is dead. But life without structure is unseen. Pure life expresses itself within and through structure. Each moment is absolute, alive and significant. Blackbirds rise from a field making a sound delicious beyond compare. I heard them because I accepted the limitations of an arts conference in a Virginia girls' finishing school, which limitations allowed me 
quite by accident, to hear the blackbirds as they flew up and overhead. There was a social calendar and hours for breakfast, but one day I saw a cardinal, and the same day heard a woodpecker. I also met America's youngest college president. However, she has resigned, and people say she is going into politics. Let her. Why shouldn't she? I also had the pleasure of hearing an eminent music critic exclaim that he hoped he would live long enough to see the end of this craze for Bach. A pupil once said to me, I understand what you say about Beethoven. And I think I agree. But I have a very serious question to ask you. How do you feel about Bach? Now we have come to the end of the part about structure. However, it occurs to me to say more about structure. Specifically this. We are now at the beginning of the third part, and that part is not the part devoted to structure. It's the part about material. But I'm still talking about structure. It must be clear from that that structure has no point. And as we have seen, form has no point either. Clearly, we are beginning to get nowhere. Unless some other idea crops up about it, that is all I have to say about structure. Now, about material. Is it interesting? It is, and it isn't. But one thing is certain. If one is making something which is to be nothing, the one making must love and be patient with the material he chooses. Otherwise, he calls attention to the material, which is precisely something. Whereas it was nothing that was being made. Or he calls attention to himself, whereas nothing is anonymous. The technique of handling materials is on the sense level what structure as a discipline is on the rational level means of experiencing nothing. I remember loving sound before I ever took a music lesson. And so we make our lives by what we love. Last year, when I talked here, I made a short talk. That was because I was talking about something. But this year, I am talking about nothing. And of course, we'll go on talking for a long time. The other day, a pupil said, after trying to compose a melody using only three tones, I felt limited.
Had she concerned herself with the three tones, her materials, she would not have felt limited. And since materials are without feeling, there would not have been any limitation. It was all in her mind, whereas it belonged in the materials. It became something by not being nothing. It would have been nothing by being something. Should one use the materials characteristic of one's time? Now there's a question that ought to get us somewhere. It is an intellectual question. I shall answer it slowly and autobiographically. I remember as a child loving all the sounds, even the unprepared ones. I liked them especially when there was one at a time. A five-finger exercise for one hand was full of beauty. Later on, I gradually liked all the intervals. As I look back, I realize that I began liking the octave. I accepted the major and minor thirds Perhaps of all the intervals, I liked these thirds least. Through the music of Grieg, I became passionately fond of the fifth. Or perhaps you could call it puppy dog love. For the fifth did not make me want to write music, it made me want to devote my life to playing the works of Grieg. When later I heard modern music, I took to it like a duck to water, to all the modern intervals, the sevenths, the seconds, the tritone, and the fourth. I liked Bach too about this time, but I didn't like the sound of the thirds and sixths. What I admired in Bach was the way many things went together. As I keep on remembering, I see that I never really liked the thirds, and this explains why I never really liked Brahms. Modern music fascinated me with all its modern intervals, the sevenths, the seconds, the tritone, and the fourth. And always, every now and again, there was a fifth, and that pleased me. Sometimes there were single tones, not intervals at all, and that was a delight. There were so many intervals in modern music that it fascinated me rather than that I loved it. By being fascinated by it, I decided to write it. Writing it at first is difficult. That is, putting the mind on it takes the ear off it. However, doing it alone I was free to hear that a high sound is different from a low sound, even when both are called by the same letter. After several years of working alone, I began to feel 
lonely. Studying with a teacher, I learned that the intervals have meaning. They are not just sounds, but they imply in their progressions a sound, not actually present to the ear. Tonality. I never liked tonality. I worked at it, studied it, but I never had any feeling for it. For instance, there are some progressions called deceptive cadences. The idea is this. Progress in such a way as to imply the presence of a tone not actually present. Then fool everyone by not landing on it, land somewhere else. What is being fooled? Not the ear, but the mind. The whole question is very intellectual. However, modern music still fascinated me. With all its modern intervals. But in order to have them, the mind had fixed it so that one had to avoid having progressions that would make one think of sounds that were not actually present to the ear. Avoiding did not appeal to me. I began to see that the separation of mind and ear had spoiled the sounds. That a clean slate was necessary. This made me not only contemporary, but avant-garde. I used noises. They had not been intellectualized. The ear could hear them directly and didn't have to go through any abstraction about them. I found that I liked those noises even more than I liked intervals. I liked noises just as much as I had liked single sounds. Noises, too, had been discriminated against. And being American, having been trained to be sentimental, I fought for noises. I liked being on the side of the underdog. I got police permission to play sirens. The most amazing noise I ever found was that produced by a means of a coil of wire attached to the pickup arm of a phonograph and then amplified. It was shocking really shocking and thunderous. Half intellectually and half sentimentally, when the war came along, I decided to use only quiet sounds. There seemed to be, to me, no truth, no good in anything big in society. But quiet sounds were like loneliness, or love, or friendship permanent, I thought, values, independent, at least from Lifetime and Coca-Cola. I must say, I still feel this way, but something else is happening. I begin to hear the old sounds, the ones I had thought worn out, worn out by intellectualization. I begin to hear the old sounds as though they are not worn out. Obviously, they are not worn out. They are just as audible as the new sounds. Thinking had worn them out. And if one stops thinking about them, suddenly they are fresh and new. If you think you are a ghost, you will become a ghost. Thinking the sounds worn out wore them out. So you see... 
This question brings us back where we were, nowhere. Or, if you like, where we are. I have a story. There once was a man standing on a high elevation. A company of several men had happened to be walking along the road, noticed from the distance the man standing on the high place, and talked to themselves about this man. One of them said, he must have lost his favorite animal. Another man said, no, it must be his friend whom he is looking for. A third one said, he is just enjoying the cool air up there. The three could not agree. And the discussion? shall we have one later, went on until they reached the high place where the man was. One of the three asked, O oh friend, standing up there, have you not lost your pet animal? No, sir, I have not lost any. The second man asked, have you not lost your friend? No, sir, I have not. The third man asked, Are you not enjoying the fresh breeze up there? No, sir. I am not. What, then, are you standing up there for? If you say no to all our questions. The man on high said, I just stand. If there are no questions, there are no answers. If there are questions, then of course there are answers. But the final answer makes the questions seem absurd. Whereas the questions up until then seem more intelligent than the answers. Somebody asked Debussy how he wrote music. He said, I take all the tones there are leave out the ones I don't want, and use all the others. Satie said, When I was young, people told me, you'll see when you're 50 years old. Now I'm 50, I've seen nothing. Here we are now, at the beginning of the fourth large part of this talk. More and more, I have the feeling that we are getting nowhere. Slowly, as the talk goes on, we are getting nowhere, and that is a pleasure. It is not irritating to be where one is. It is only irritating to think one would like to be somewhere else. Here we are now, a little bit after the beginning of the fourth part of this talk. More and more, we have the feeling that I am getting nowhere. Slowly, as the talk goes on, slowly, we have the feeling we are getting nowhere. That is a pleasure which will continue. If we are irritated, it is not a pleasure. Nothing is not a pleasure if one is irritated, but suddenly it is a pleasure, and then more and more it is not irritating, and then more and more, and slowly. Originally, 
we were nowhere. And now again, we are having the pleasure of being slowly nowhere. If anybody is sleepy, let him go to sleep. Here we are now, at the beginning of the third unit of the fourth large part of this talk. More and more, I have the feeling that we are getting nowhere. Slowly, as the talk goes on, we are getting nowhere, and that is a pleasure. It is not irritating to be where one is. It is only irritating to think one would like to be somewhere else. Here we are now, a little bit after the beginning of the third unit of the fourth large part of this talk. More and more, we have the feeling that I am getting nowhere. Slowly, as the talk goes on, slowly, we have the feeling we are getting nowhere. That is a pleasure which will continue. If we are irritated, it is not a pleasure. Nothing is not a pleasure if one is irritated. But suddenly, it is a pleasure. And then more and more, it is not irritating. And then more and more, and slowly. Originally, we were nowhere. And now again, we are having the pleasure of being slowly nowhere. If anybody is sleepy, let him go to sleep. Here we are now, at the beginning of the fifth unit of the fourth large part of this talk. More and more, I have the feeling that we are getting nowhere. Slowly, as the talk goes on, we are getting nowhere, and that is a pleasure. It is not irritating to be where one is, it is only irritating to think one would like to be somewhere else. Here we are now, a little bit after the beginning of the fifth unit of the fourth large part of this talk. More and more, we have the feeling that I am getting nowhere. Slowly, as the talk goes on, slowly, we have the feeling we are getting nowhere. That is a pleasure which will continue. If we are irritated, it is not a pleasure. Nothing is not a pleasure if one is irritated. But suddenly, it is a pleasure. And then more and more, it is not irritating. And then more and more, and slowly. Originally, we were nowhere. And now again, we are having the pleasure of being slowly nowhere. If anybody is sleepy, let him go to sleep. Here we are now, at the middle of the fourth large part of this talk. More and more, I have the feeling that we are getting nowhere. Slowly, as the talk goes on, we are getting nowhere. And that is a pleasure. 
It is not irritating to be where one is. It is only irritating to think one would like to be somewhere else. Here we are now, a little bit after the middle of the fourth large part of this talk. More and more we have the feeling that I am getting nowhere. Slowly, as the talk goes on, slowly, we have the feeling we are getting nowhere. That is a pleasure which will continue. If we are irritated, it is not a pleasure. Nothing is not a pleasure if one is irritated. But suddenly, it is a pleasure. And then more and more, it is not irritating. And then more and more, and slowly. Originally, we were nowhere. And now again, we are having the pleasure of being slowly nowhere. If anybody is sleepy, let him go to sleep. Here we are now, at the beginning of the ninth unit of the fourth large part of this talk. More and more, I have the feeling that we are getting nowhere. Slowly, as the talk goes on, we are getting nowhere. And that is a pleasure. It is not irritating to be where one is. It is only irritating to think one would like to be somewhere else. Here we are now, a little bit after the beginning of the ninth unit of the fourth large part of the talk. More and more, we have the feeling that I am getting nowhere. Slowly, as the talk goes on, slowly, we have the feeling we are getting nowhere. That is a pleasure which will continue. If we are irritated, it is not a pleasure. Nothing is not a pleasure if one is irritated. But suddenly, it is a pleasure. And then more and more, it is not irritating. And then more and more, and slowly. Originally, we were nowhere. And now again, we are having the pleasure of being slowly nowhere. If anybody is sleepy, let him go to sleep. Here we are now, at the beginning of the 11th unit of the fourth large part of this talk. More and more, I have the feeling that we are getting nowhere. Slowly, as the talk goes on, we are getting nowhere, and that is a pleasure. It is not irritating to be where one is. It is only irritating to think one would like to be somewhere else. Here we are now, a little bit after the beginning of the 11th unit of the fourth large part of this talk. More and more, we have the feeling that I am getting nowhere. Slowly, as the talk goes on, slowly, we have the feeling we are getting nowhere. That is a pleasure which will continue. If we are irritated, it is not a pleasure. 
Nothing is not a pleasure if one is irritated, but suddenly it is a pleasure, and then more and more it is not irritating, and then more and more, and slowly. Originally, we were nowhere, and now again we are having the pleasure of being slowly nowhere. If anybody is sleepy, let him go to sleep. Here we are now, at the beginning of the 13th unit of the fourth large part of this talk. More and more, I have the feeling that we are getting nowhere. Slowly, as the talk goes on, we are getting nowhere. And that is a pleasure. It is not irritating to be where one is, it is only irritating to think one would like to be somewhere else. Here we are now, a little bit after the beginning of the 13th unit of the fourth large part of this talk. More and more, we have the feeling that I am getting nowhere. Slowly, as the talk goes on, slowly, we have the feeling we are getting nowhere. That is a pleasure which will continue. If we are irritated, it is not a pleasure. Nothing is not a pleasure if one is irritated. But suddenly, it is a pleasure. And then more and more, it is not irritating. And then more and more, and slowly. Originally, we were nowhere. And now again, we are having the pleasure of being slowly nowhere. If anybody is sleepy, let him go to sleep.
that is finished now. It was a pleasure. And now, this is a pleasure. Read me that part again where I disinherit everybody. The twelve tone row is a method. A method is a control of each single note. There is too much there, there. There is not enough of nothing in it. A structure is like a bridge from nowhere to nowhere. Anyone may go on it. Noises or tones, corn or wheat. Does it matter which? I thought there were 88 tones. You can quarter them too. If it were feet, would it be a two-tone row? Or can we fly from here to where? I have nothing against the 12-tone row, but it is a method, not a structure. We really do need a structure so we can see we are nowhere. Much of the music I love uses the 12-tone row, but that is not why I love it. I love it for no reason. I love it, for suddenly I am nowhere. My own music does that quickly for me. And it seems to me I could listen forever to Japanese shakuhachi music or the Navajo yebichai. Or I could sit or stand near Richard Lippold's full moon any length of time. Chinese bronzes, how I love them. But those beauties which others have made tend to stir up the need to possess. And I know I possess nothing. Record collections. That is not music. The phonograph is a thing, not a musical instrument. A thing leads to other things, whereas a musical instrument leads to nothing. Would you like to join a society called Capitalists Incorporated? Just so no one would think we were communists. Anyone joining automatically becomes president. To join, you must show you've destroyed at least 100 records, or in the case of tape, one sound mirror. To imagine you own any piece of music is to miss the whole point. There is no point, or the point is nothing, and even a long playing record is a thing. A lady from Texas said, I live in Texas. We have no music in Texas. The reason they've no music in Texas is because they have recordings in Texas. Remove the records from Texas and someone will learn to sing. Everybody has a song. 
which is no song at all. It is a process of singing. And when you sing, you are where you are. All I know about method is that when I am not working, I sometimes think I know something. But when I am working, it is quite clear that I know nothing. This is Sigmund Soundscape Composer, and you're listening to 24 Hours of Radio Art here on CITR 101.9 FM. This week on the Arts Report, film, theater, dance, books, visual art, and more. Every Wednesday at 5 p.m., CITR art director Megan Thomas and the arts reporters explore what's fun, fascinating, campy, or critical in the Vancouver art scene. You can find bonus content on our Mixcloud, Facebook, and Twitter. Got an idea for a review, interview, or original production? Email arts at citr.ca. Listen Wednesdays at 5 p.m. or anytime on citr.ca. (laughs) 